Well, good morning, LCM. Today is Sunday, April 24th, 2022. We're going to have a good time this morning. We're going to have a glorious time this morning. Look, how good is it to be surrounded by men and women of God who hunger and thirst for righteousness? How great is it to be surrounded by men and women of God who have the power of transformation at work inside of them? We're a family. We're an army. We are the kingdom of God, our feet on earth. Well, there are some processes that are involved in the kingdom of God being displayed here on earth and underneath your feet. There's the process of redemption. And this process is not a one-time event done in the past. Redemption is not a one-time event done in the past. I think we can all say amen to that. Amen to that. Well, on the flip side, resurrection is also part of this process of God's kingdom being displayed here on earth. And it also is not a one-time event done in the future. Yes, we're looking forward to it, but it's also part of our present-day situation. Is he raising up your souls and your hearts right now? Have these messages have been lifting up your nefesh, the seat of your mind, your will, and your emotions? Well, in these messages, we've been speaking about two generations of donkeys. These generations of donkeys that carry the glory of the Lord into new lives, into new families, and even into new nations. You guys have been benefited from these messages. Well, this morning, we want to talk to you about being a Netzerine. Everybody say Netzerine. Netzerine. We're going to walk through the process of what it means to be a Netzerine and living a resurrection lifestyle. Living a resurrection lifestyle. Yes. This requires something from us, though. And what God has been repeatedly telling us over and over again for the past couple of weeks. This ongoing process of going from death to life. Not a one-time event, but a cycle that is done again and again and again. A continual experience of death that we may gain the surety that life will spring forth from our current situation. Can somebody say amen? Look, as Pastor was speaking, he laid something on you, and I I just want to go back to it for a second. He talked about that the redemption is not a one-time act that was just done in the past. That is an incredible thought. You are LCM, and you understand this. You know this. I see you putting it into practice every day, the daily dying so that you can see that daily life being resurrected. And maybe you're like me today. Maybe you've realized something that is, uh, that is kind of an understated point of what we're all experiencing. That death is painful. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Yeah. That's like saying water is wet or the sun is bright. But death is actually painful. What I'm learning in this process is that dying in my own self, I actually hate the dying process. I hate it. You know how I know that I hate this? It's because every time I see my own failure... 
every time I see that there's some area that must die, is dying, and will still need to die, I actually hate it. Let me tell you how I know that I hate it. I hate it because I can feel myself getting absolutely embarrassed when I do something and God shows me that that's death. I get, I get embarrassed. I've actually said that to my friends in the last 48 hours. I am just saying it out loud. I'm really embarrassed about what I just did. Can anybody join me in that? Anybody felt yes. embarrassed lately? Man, I, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Oh, my gosh, that's still in my life. I'm so embarrassed. You know what that embarrassment in me tells me? That I hate the death process. That I'd rather it be somewhere else for someone else. I believe it. Yeah, we got to die so we can live. Yes. But I hate dying. I hate it when I see it in myself and sin is being exposed. I mean, I want to skip past the death part and I want to get to the life part. I'm saying okay to pastor when he's talking about death just because I really want to move on and get to the life. But I can't do that. There's a daily process that's required when I see sin inside of me. Can I be honest with you? Because that's all that I'm doing is being honest with you. I hate it when I see it in my relationship with my wife. When I see weaknesses that are there. When I see sin that's there, I'm like, God, I'm so embarrassed. I can't believe this is still in us. What about being up here on a stage, being in front of you, serving you as a pastor? I want to skip to the part where I'm a really, really good pastor, and I don't want to have to go through the process of the daily dying that gets me to being a really good pastor. Come on, You're not alone. Come yeah. on now. <laughs> the part that I hate most about death is that I have to do it again and again. Yeah. And again, it wasn't just good enough that I faced down that, that issue years ago, somewhere in the distant past. It's not even good enough that I faced it yesterday. Are you saying, Lord, that I have to do it again today? Yes. Wait, but I did it this morning. Do you mean I have to engage with this again in this afternoon? Yes. Praise God that there is a scripture that actually encapsulates this perfectly. Let's go to Romans Amen. chapter 7, and we're going to look at verse 22 together. Hey, since we're family, can anybody say amen and that you agree with what I'm just saying? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Can you understand what I'm feeling today? Come on now. Look at what God has for us in Romans 7. For in my inner being, I delight. This is Romans 7, 22, in case I didn't say it. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. Anybody else with me in this? You delight in God's law? I mean, down on the inside, I really do. I love him. But, conjunctive word, joining two clauses, the first of which is true, but the second of which is also true. But I see another law at work in the members of your body. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Sorry. I'm just making sure you're with me. I see another law at work in the members of my body waging war they're not just there they are waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work that is within my own members wow it's almost like paul understood this and this is the apostle paul saying this giving this insight into it look at what verse 24 says tell me what a wretched man i am <laughs> chris chris gets it he's like yep that's me yeah, what a wretched man I am. By the way, this is not Paul having a pity party for himself. 
When I say this inside, I usually mean it as a pity party. What a wretched man I am. <laughs> I'm so wretched. That's exactly how it goes on in me. And really what I'm wanting is for you to tell me that I'm not. Paul is going, what a wretched man I am. No, no, there are other, there's something that's waging war in me, and it's got to die. I'm a wretched man. Who's going to rescue me from this body of death? Oh, who will rescue me? To cry out to be rescued means you understand that you're in a situation that you need to be rescued. This is what makes verse 25 so great. Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have the answer of who can rescue us. He's right there. Thanks be to God that I don't have to stay like this, but I must go through the death process. Amen. I need your redemption, Jesus Christ. And thanks be to God that I can have it. So then I myself, in my mind, I am a slave to God's law. It, isn't this like Paul wrote this just for us here at LCM today? I myself, I am a slave in my mind to God's law. But in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin, I see things that must be constantly redeemed in me. Church, I am coming to the blatant truth that the redemption that I need, that I desperately need, is not a one-time act done in the past. Amen. I need the rescue of redemption every single day. Is anybody with me this morning? Amen. Look, as you turn to Exodus 13, everyone say, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. We're going to pick up in verse 11 of Exodus 13. After the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you, as he promised on oath to you and your ancestors. You are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. So the first thing we're going to look at is the beginning of this passage in verse 11. After the Lord brings you into the land. Now, everybody just pause for a second. Imagine this is you. You're an Israelite, right? You're hearing these words spoken for the first time. You've just experienced the first ever inaugural Pesach, the Passover, and gone through its meal. The death angel has passed over the households that had the blood of the lamb on its doorpost. And... You have yet to cross the Red Sea. So you have left Egypt, gone through Passover, and not yet crossed the Red Sea. And God is giving instructions about redemption at this very point. And not just about a redemption of then, but it's in that point in the future. But the truth is, it was an ongoing need of redemption. God is speaking to them about a time when they would get to the promised land. This is after the salvation experience of the Exodus. And still, there is need for redemption. This is after they get to Canaan, and still, there is need for death to redeem every firstborn in the nation of Israel. Come on, so let's engage with the scripture, right? So what does this kind of redemption look like? Yeah. 
you've just come out, you've watched the 10th plague in Egypt as God sent the death angel upon the land of Egypt. You have been miraculously saved, and now he is spending, the Lord himself is spending time to talk to you about the redemption process. You're finding there's a process and a price to have to redeem the firstborn. It takes the death of a lamb to redeem the firstborn donkey. Everybody say donkey. Donkey. If you got kids, the, the Shrek version of that is going in my head right now. If you don't redeem the donkey, then you got to break its neck. This is such a peculiar verse. I'm looking at your faces right now, and I, and I see sweet Abby, and she's like, oh, poor donkey. Some of you are like, yeah. <laughs> what is happening here? Can you imagine that process? You don't redeem the donkey, so you have to break the donkey's neck. Has anybody ever gone to the rodeo or you've seen a steer wrestling event? Yeah. Cowboy, full speed, jumps off of his horse, insane, onto the back of a steer, yeah. around his head, and then twist his head until the animal goes boom and falls on the ground. Giant. One of the guys that I saw was a six foot four, 260 pound man doing this. Takes it, turns the steer, and the steer flops on the ground. And then the steer, <laughs> yeah, she's like, I can relate to that guy. That was actually me. That, that was my job. <laughs> okay? So Spencer's doing this. He takes the steer, turns the neck. The steer flops on the ground. He stands up victorious. You know what happens to that steer? Steer pops up and just goes on off to his mom. Yep. You just jumped off of a horse and twisted this animal's neck. He flops on the ground and then springs back up because it didn't hurt him at all. Now, your job is to take a donkey and break its neck. Wow. Woo. That's a lot of force. I'm not even quite sure how, how you could do that. Maybe if I had Adam and Spence with me, we might give it a, we might give it a go. There is a neck-breaking scenario that's going on here without redemption. And by the way, what are we talking about? We're talking about the redemption of the firstborn, of yeah. both man and animal. Yeah. You got to redeem your firstborn son. Hey, man, now you got to redeem the donkey. Out of all the animals to pick, why are we picking a donkey here? The, the verse before talked about all of your livestock has to go, but the donkey. Make sure that you give a lamb in Get place of the donkey or you have to break its neck. Some of the Hebrew scholars, the Torah scholars say that this donkey was to symbolize the stubborn nature of Pharaoh and him not letting the children of Israel out of Egypt. Wow. That stubborn nature of Pharaoh. Somebody say Pharaoh. Pharaoh. Except... That it's not just the stubborn nature of Pharaoh that we are talking about here. I'm starting to see the stubborn nature in myself. And I'm like, yeah, I, I am that donkey. I, I, I am exactly like that donkey. And then I zeroed in, kind of like a map program where you start zeroing in more and more. And I was just thinking about it. And I went, let me, 
I've looked at the passage as a whole. I understand the context. Wow, what is actually going on? Now, who am I in the story? Well, let's see. If Jesus is the Passover lamb, yeah. yep, I'm the ass that needs redemption. Yes. I too am the ass. That's me. That's who I am in the story. And don't forget this. This is the process required after you're saved. Yes. Egypt is in the background. The Red Sea and the Promised Land is in the foreground. But this is where they stand now. Somebody say now. Now. This is after they've been originally brought from death to life. Literally, the Passover is done. Yeah. Literally. This is after we cross through the baptism. This is after we get into real life that is life. When you get to the promised land, when you are standing there in the fullness of God's glory, you still have to redeem the donkey or you break its neck. For generation after generation after generation. This is the process, friends, for every womb that's opened with this first donkey. You have to redeem this. My God, we have to be redeemed again Yes. And again. Yes. And again. Yes. And again. Yes. And again. We need to be redeemed. Let me just put it to you in practical terms. We got to be redeemed from our own stubborn, stiff necked, yeah. prideful. Yeah. Some might even say asinine, asinine. behavior. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Asinine behavior. <laughs> Am I the only one in the room who has a stubborn, stiff neck, prideful, and asinine nature? Right there, you. Amen. That's such comfort. Well, let me just highlight a few ways of recent of what that's looked like inside of me. What God is revealing is that I am full of a prideful and stiff neck attitude that I want to be the guy that has all the answers. I mean, I don't want segments and pieces of what will solve everyone's problems. I don't want sparse fragments of revelation to then have to put together a message about. I want the teetotal package of everything ahead of time, let's be honest, ahead of before I even take action. I need to know, God, that you're going to give me everything I need and have visible and tangible evidence of it before I do what you actually told me to do. And the truth is, even when I think that I have that and I take a step forward, I really don't. And so that prideful, asinine nature inside of me wants to defend all the evidence of what I actually do have and sh internally and externally shred to death everyone's help of trying to get me to recognize that I have this pride at work inside of my heart. I don't have everything together that I actually need more revelation, help, and guidance. And then, after kicking against that goad, are, are y'all tracking so far? Okay, good, good. Okay, good. That's why we got such high chairs, so you can crawl underneath there. After wrestling with that and actually kicking against that goad, it says that I'm really not wrong. Then the reality sets in. I was. It's true. 
I am an unredeemed donkey right now. What a wretched man I am. (laughs) Yes, what a wretched donkey I am right now. And then it goes in just the other extreme. It is a digging in and an obstinance that is saying, I have failed, and therefore I will never try to do that again. What I'm really saying is that, Lord, I will never obey what you tell me to do again because I look, look, look at what I did. I just failed. (laughs) We're talking about all of us today. Yes. Well, here's the truth. If I don't believe in the ongoing redemptive power of the Messiah, the Lamb of God, then I'm as useless as a broke. Neck donkey. I am unusable by the king. I need the Lamb of God to continually transform me from a neck-breaking scenario into an ongoing redeemed son of God like I'm called to be. This was true for Israel. This was to be done in every generation until perfection has arrived. And we find the exact same truth for us right here, right now, and for today. Church, we've been talking about two generations of donkeys, haven't we? An older and a younger, a cloak thrown over both, that the Lord needed them, and that the Lord himself is riding, the glory of God is riding on the younger generation. We've been focused on that. We've loved it. We've been talking about it. I'm hearing you talk about it. The truth is, is that each of those donkey had to be redeemed before they could be useful to carry the glory of God on their shoulders. Yes. See, we can talk about this ongoing process <laughs> of redemption, but every time we're fighting it, because it fe- D- did I have I said it yet today? Death hurts. It does. It it stings. Yes. There's there's something about it. There's everything about it that part of me I just I hate it. But to skip past that. To ignore this ongoing need, desperate need for the redemption process to happen again and again. See, it feels like I'm being disqualified when these things are shown to me. But it is the very thing that qualifies me to carry the glory of God. If you skip the redemption process, that's what disqualifies you. Come on. Let me say it better. If you skip... The daily redemption process. Ah, That's it. That's what disqualifies you. You're qualified as you go through the process. As you're crying out to God and say, this hurts. I'm dying. Thank you. Thank you for rescuing me from that which is warring on the inside of me. You're not being disqualified when you go through death. It is the qualification process. You are not unchosen. It's not a sign that you haven't been chosen. It is a sign that the Messiah, in fact, needs you and is calling you with your brothers. Amen. This is where we are as a church. Can somebody say amen? amen. You have to go through the daily redemption to be useful in the kingdom. And when you stop going through the daily process... You stop being useful. Your stiff-necked nature only deserves to be broken. But this church, we are loving. We are falling in love with this redemption process. Are you starting to fall in love with it like I am? 
See, it's one thing to be able to shout it and to be able to say it. I'm actually falling in love with it. I actually love the fact that God is, that in my life, that what he's doing in me is I'm not having to wait weeks and months before these things are becoming obvious. I make a mistake. I sin. I display weakness. And you know what happens? Within 24 hours, I'm yep. like, oh, I'm dying. Yes. I'm dying. Oh, how could it be this quick? It's like I did something, I get slapped right in the face with it. That is the kindness of yes. God. Yes. That's him rescuing me. Is he rescuing anybody else in this place? Uh, turn with us to Exodus chapter 3. And say thanks be to God as you're turning. Thanks be to God. We're going to pick up in verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So when God is saying to Moses, I am who I am, in Hebrew he is saying, Aye, Asher, Aye. I be who I be. I be who I be. He is stating that his name, his character, who he is, it envelops all tenses of the word be. It is the past. It is the present. It is the future. He's saying, I am or I is present. I was past. I will be future. And the name Yahweh is the expression of I am who I am. Aye, Asher, Aye. It's the explanation of I am, I was, I will be. Well, let's, let's put this on where we're at right now as a church. What he's saying to us this morning that is being declared in Exodus 3.14. Come on, listen up. I am the God who has redeemed you. I am the God who is redeeming you right now. And I am the God who will continue to redeem yeah. you in the future. Yeah. Does that give you hope this morning? Yeah. Our redemption is not just a one-time event done in the past. Yeah. It is something that is ongoing, and it ain't going to stop. It won't yeah. stop. Look, I think most of us can stand here this morning, and we can confidently say that God has redeemed us. Uh, look around. Look around the people sitting in this room right now. You're sitting here because God has redeemed you and he has made you a part of this church family. We could also confidently say that God will redeem us, like in the future. Like, you know, by the end of this all, of course God's going to help me to overcome my weaknesses one day. In the sweet by and by, when I get to glory, I'm going to be just like him. I have confidence that one day I will have, see the fullness of his redemption. But here's our focus, where we all are as a church, and we know you. We know you by the Spirit, and we know you by having conversations. God get, has given us his heart for you, and we know where every one of you are. You are wrestling to grasp how he is the God who is continu continually redeeming you today. Are wrestling with our own embarrassment 
or our own stiff-necked nature makes us feel like redemption in that moment is an impossibility. But the truth is, it is just as much available for you right then and there than it was in the past. But this doesn't change the nature of the I am who I am. The It doesn't change him one bit. Our God is the I am, the one who is standing in our current situation and the one who is our ongoing source of redemption. Do you believe this, church? I don't just mean do you believe that he has done something in your life. I don't just mean that he can and will and would like to do something in your life eventually. Church, do you actually believe in what he is doing in his current redemption for you right now. Amen. See, that actually gives us the title today's sermon. Do you believe? Somebody say, do you believe? Do you believe? Let us give you another picture of what this looks like. Not only did Moses have an understanding of this God, <laughs> Aye, Asher, Aye. But so did the Apostle John. Let's all turn to Revelation chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 4 together. As you turn and say, I believe. I believe. Revelation 1, 4 says this. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is. Say who is. Who is. Say who was. Who was. Say who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne. See the name of God, Aye, Asher, Aye, that was first revealed to Moses for the nation of Israel is now being revealed through the apostle John. Come on now, catch this. For the entire church world to understand it. John is beginning his letter with a reminder of who Yahweh is, of who he was, and who Yahweh will be to come. By the way, in this passage right here, which one did John start with? Oh. Oh. You know how I always think about this in my mind? Who was, who is, and who is to come. Do you know what John is showing us here? I probably need to start with who he is right now. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that exactly what we need to have emblazoned on our hearts. Can you feel that right now? Can you feel that going, Lord, who you are to me now? What you're doing in me now? Who Yahweh is right now, that he is able to redeem me in my current state from my neck-breaking scenario. He is able to rescue yes. me right now. See, in fact, what does the scripture primarily say that Yah uh, describe who Yahweh is? We sang it today in a New song and some, and some other songs that we had today. Our God is holy, holy, holy. You realize that this is the only word in, throughout Scripture that is repeated three times in a row. Say it with me. Holy, holy, holy. It's the repeating refrain. We sang this here in a refrain. It's called a refrain in music. You sing it. Then you sing it again. Holy. We're singing about the holiness of God. Do you know that the angels, the angelic beings are doing this in an unceasing, unending refrain that is always before the Lord? Think about what it says in Isaiah 6, 3. It says, and they were calling to one another. And what were the angelic creatures calling out? 
holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. But it gets even better. It does. This picture into the heavenly realm is then confirmed by the Apostle John again. Turn with us to Revelation chapter 4 and verse 8. As you turn, say, do you believe? Do you believe? (laughs) Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, come on, say it with me, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Look, John has a glimpse into the exact same heavenly throne room of God that Isaiah did. He is seeing the same creatures declaring the same message. That day and night, never stopping, unceasingly declaring, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. What John is doing is that he's recording the declaration that the I am was holy before you were. That the I am is making you holy now. And that the I am will continue to make you holy into the future and the culmination of his whole will. Church, I don't know about you, but my spirit is beginning to flood with hope when I realize that that perfect nature of God, his absolute holiness is for what was, is for what I need right now, and it will continue on to the future. I have hope that I can see him move in my life right now because of it. He has redeemed me. He has made me holy. He has, in fact, brought me from death into life. He is redeeming me. He's transitioning. He's getting me out of that neck-breaking scenario. And he's redeeming my nature right now. I mean like right now. Like in this second. He's doing it. And he's going to redeem me. He will redeem me and make me holy even as he continually transforms me into being a Netzarene. One who is brought from death into life and one who can bring life right out of death. Yes. Look, we all know what it's like to reap the rewards of others who have been a Netzarene to us. Others who have laid down their own lives and then bringing life to others. Our aim, our aim is to model our own lives according to this very life-giving biblical pattern. And what it produces inside of us is a joyful embracing of our own daily death so that life can spring forth from us following the example of the Netzer, Jesus, the Netzerine. So let's turn to John chapter 11 to see how resurrection is not a one-time event in the future, but is an ongoing reality. Come on, John 11. Hey. This is going to be a really good passage for us. Yeah, buddy. Come on now. John 11 and verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. Obviously speaking about Lazarus. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. As we begin to engage in this process, 
Lazarus has died. He's been in the tomb. Jesus hasn't been around. And now he is approaching. And Martha runs out of the village and meets Jesus outside of the village. And she begins by saying this, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. You know what I couldn't help think about as I begin to engage with this is that I have been Martha so many times. You remember back in Luke chapter 10 when Martha, the one that was being the busy bee, not sitting at Jesus' feet? Jesus actually says, you are distracted with much serving. You are distracted with many preparations. Uh, I resemble that remark. When I start to feel the process of death coming on, you know what I do? I go get real busy. I get as busy as I possibly can because I hate death. Let me go get busy. Let me, um, let me run around and find something to do that I can feel like um, uh, uh, instead of actually addressing the death that's going on. I, like Martha, accuse Jesus. I don't know if you remember, but since we're referencing Luke 10, in Luke 10, she says, don't you care that my sister's not helping me? (laughs) So in Luke 10, we're accusing Jesus of not caring. Mm. By the time we get to John 11, she's just like, you messed up, bruh. If you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. At least Martha and I are the only ones who accuse God of wrong while we're Because we're afraid of death, huh? Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. Me again. Let me just say it in this way. When Martha was faced, faced with death, you know what she did? She tried to overcome being faced with death by more work. She also tried to face death by just having more words. I know, I mean, you, if you would have been here, you could have kept him from dying, but I know that whatever you ask for, I mean, you can have it happen. I see myself in the portrayal of Martha in just these two verses as we start. Can anybody else see yourself today? Yes. Let's look at verse 23 how Jesus responded to her. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day because resurrection is a one-time event in the future. (laughs) Silly Martha. (laughs) Jesus is stating a present reality. Your brother will rise again. What Martha is hearing is something in the distant future. She's not getting it, right? And not to mention, when she first approached him, she's laying blame on him for this whole scenario. And his response was stating the hope of the present. Your brother will rise again. So the question really is, is it reality, I'm sorry, is it really a future hope if you don't live in the present reality? No, 
That's not our future hope. What God is drawing our attention to is that what we have access to right here, right now, in the present, is what we're going to see ongoing all the way into the future. Come on, look at verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am. I am. Jesus said to her, I am. Does that ring true from your ears, from Exodus, from, from Revelation? Jesus saying to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Come on. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes. Come on now, church. Jesus is saying, I am. Throw away those dumb, idiotic arguments that say that Jesus never declared his own divinity in the Newer Testament. He said it right here. I am the resurrection. And I am who I am to you right now. I am who I am. And I'm standing before you as the resurrection. Church, the Netzer himself is clearly, plainly describing that he is the embodiment of the death to life yes. process. I am the resurrection. I am the life. What's more is he's describing how we become the same Netzerine that he is. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. 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 Continually yes. dies, he gets to live. Yeah. Every time there is death, the Netzer brings life. <laughs> Trust grounded obedience in this process of ongoing redemption and ongoing resurrection, it's going to cause you to live even when you die. But I got something better. Trust-granted obedience in this process causes you to live because you die. Amen. This process causes you to live since you've died, because you're dying, and because you will die. The answer is still the same as you get the I am being displayed fully because he is the resurrection and the life. Look, verse 26, it stood out to us in a whole new way, and you heard it expounded upon by Pastor Wade. What we normally hear is the statement of resurrection in Jesus in this passage saying, I am the resurrection and the life. But what hit us is, why did he declare that? Is for the very next statement that comes after it. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Whoever believes in me, he will live and yet, even though he dies. This ongoing process of trusting who our king is, trusting his resurrection power, trusting his redemption power and work inside of us. It never stops as a cycle of what's going on inside of us. 
I look at him, and yes, I can agree that, Lord, you are the resurrection and the life. But you know what's happening inside of me right now? I'm looking in the mirror of his word, and I'm saying I'm just like him. I'm becoming the resurrection and the life along with the Netzer. God wants us to look at death and see it as the highway to get to life. He wants us to have that Netzer principle at work in us on a constant basis. Look, I, I can say that personally in my life, the best, most life-giving moments have been at my deepest and darkest failures and levels of self-loathing and despair where I had to be turned by the word, by the family, and by the spirit of God and say, look up to that resurrection life. Look up to the one who can breathe into your situation right now. Death is not going to define you. Death is not going to banish you from my presence. Death is the very return from exile. I am now standing in the presence of my God while I feel death, but I know that life is on its way inside of me. Come on now, church. This entire interaction that Martha is having with Jesus this is outside of the village. Then you see that Jesus sends for Mary. He says, hey, go get Mary. Mary comes out and meets him in the same spot. Jesus decided to wait right there and wait for Mary to get back. Let's all look at verse 32 and see how this story continues. When Mary, somebody say Mary. Mary. First conversation was with Martha. This conversation is with Mary. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Wait a minute, I think I've heard that somewhere. As in the exact same words that Martha said. Mary wasn't there. She runs and says the exact same thing that her sister said. There's a couple of reasons that could be there. One is they both felt this deeply. Another reason is they'd probably been talking about Jesus and the exact same phrase came forth yes. out of both of their mouths. My supposition is this is exactly what they were talking about before Jesus arrived. Yep. Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. I have been married so many times. Yep. Uh, saying the exact same thing as someone else. But in this case, Mary has no desire to even temper it with a, but if you pray, things will happen. She just begins to weep. She just gets overwhelmed with emotion. When she's facing death, she just gets mournful over her own condition. <laughs> There's death in my life. <laughs> I have been married so many times. Yes. Here's what the Mary progression sounds like in me. Ah! This is all internal, by the way. Ah! I can't believe that this sin is present in my life. I can't believe it. Level two. After I get done mourning over myself, I then feel 
and all of my friends. My family, Pastor Matt, they've been having to deal with me, and I have this great sin in my life. <laughs> You're not alone, brother. I don't deserve to be on this team. <sighs> and then I think, you, you, Lord, <laughs> you've been dealing with <laughs> Let me fall at his feet in mournful misery. At least this is just me and Mary, right? No, 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 no. So when Martha was facing and faced death, she tried to work her way out. When Martha was facing death, she tried to use words to get her way out. Mary does not use work or words. She just begins to wail. Mourn. I just can't believe this. I'm destroyed. Now that we have a mutual understanding of both ourselves, Martha and Mary, let's go into verse 33 and learn how Jesus deals with this. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also Weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Well, one thing that's clear is that in this moment, Jesus is not being sympathetic. He was not feeling sorry or deeply moved about what he saw in their weeping and wailing. You do a little bit of research in these words, and you realize what we have here has been a bit neutered. It actually means to be stirred, agitated, indignant, and angry. He was stirred to anger because he saw them weeping and wailing. Mary didn't get it. Martha didn't get it. The Jews that were mourning with him, his own people, did not get this, and it was making him angry and troubled in spirit. And the thing is that he was right. He was right that it was making him angry. Because he is Jesus, the Netzerine. He is the resurrection and the life. And he was present to make them into Netzerines. That's why he showed up. So you remember when we said that Martha met Jesus outside the village and then Mary came to him at the same place because Jesus had sent for Mary through Martha? This is because they were all sitting in their home mourning and grieving the death of their brother Lazarus. They're sitting Shiva. They're wailing. They're mourning in their own home, and they're doing it in such a way that has no hope. No hope. That's immediately seen in the phrase that they say when they see Jesus outside the village. So what does Jesus do? He stays outside the village, and here's why. He called to her just like he was about to call to Lazarus. Come out of that grave. 
Come out of that hopelessness. Come out of sitting down and weeping and wailing because I am standing right here and I'm going to change all of it. Sometimes you got to hear the voice of your God and your king that says, get up. Quit sitting down and throwing yourself a pity party and handing out invitations to everybody. Stand up on your feet. There's a resurrection lifestyle to do. When we begin to come out of that death, we begin to take hold of the truth of the I am. That we are participating in the one who is the resurrection and who is the very netzer that is making us just like him. Come on now, church. When you stay in a mournful attitude, it is angering to God. Yeah. You don't need sympathy. That's why I often mourn and wail is so that you feel sorry for me. Jesus did not feel sorry for them. And yet, what does the next verse say? Jesus wept. What? Huh? <laughs> Pastor, I, I thought you just said that Jesus was indignant. He was. He was. See, this is, the, this is a well-known scripture. It's because it's so short that even the littlest of children can memorize. I now have one verse that I have memorized. Jesus, Jesus wept. <laughs> Yes! Cookie. More sermons have been preached on this than almost any other singular scripture, maybe outside of John 3.16. But almost all of them are missing the obvious. Why did Jesus weep? Which, by the way, Jesus was not wailing and mourning as the others were. No. A better, more accurate translation would be, Jesus quietly shed a tear. Much different. In your own time. Look that up. Yep. Look up the difference between Jesus wept and the words for weeping from everyone else in this story. Completely different words. There was as much subjection to what he, why he might be having a single tear come down his face in his time as there is in our time. The onlookers were saying things like, oh, look, he obviously loves Lazarus. That's what the scripture says. Others were accusing him of having the healing power to open a blind man's eyes, but not being able, or maybe he just wasn't willing to keep Lazarus from dying. Yeah. You know, it was clear. Jesus was not shedding a tear just because he loved Lazarus. We know that he loved Lazarus. In fact, well before this event, he's saying to his disciples, we must go back to Judea because my friend Lazarus needs to be woken up. He's asleep. That maybe two or three times he's already preparing his disciples for what is a surety of what's going to happen. Lazarus will rise again. I'm going to go wake him up. It will not end in death. That's exactly what he said about this event. So clearly he's not mourning the loss of his friend. He is not. Clearly he is not distraught that Lazarus has died. Just experiencing death because he is standing in the place of, I know what's going to happen. I am the resurrection and the life. He wept because the people were missing the point. He was distraught. He was angry that no matter how many times he said it, no matter how many miracles that he performed, they did not get the revelation of who he was and what he came to do. 
They were not showing trust in the I am. They were not showing trust in him that he would bring about resurrection life and power and cause those that believe in him as they live to continue to live even though they die. Come on, what should stir us? What should move us? We should be distraught. We should be agitated when our own souls keep offering back rebuttals and deflections and shifting of blame. We should become angry and stirred and even shed a single tear saying, God, I don't get it, but help me get it right now. I want that resurrection right here, right now. It is the present and it is my future. Such a good word, Pastor. Jesus the Netzer is on the scene. Resurrection itself. I got some good news for you today. Yeah. Even here in this story, it gives me such great hope. I can see myself in these people. How many times my refusal, no matter how many times Jesus is telling me, I am resurrection. I am the life. Not getting it for what I need right today. He is saying this. He is the Netzerine, and he is making them into it. You know what? You want to know the good news is they actually get it. This gives me hope that we, LCM, we're going to get it today. Yes. Look, at, look at verse 45. <clears throat> Same chapter. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary, you know, the ones who were weeping and mourning with her, and had seen what Jesus did, yeah. put their faith in him. They got it, man. It took literally Lazarus rising from the dead. Yes. It took the fullness of the resurrection process to be seen with their own eyes. But they got it. I imagine in their hearts they were saying things like Job 42. I had heard it. You said it over and over. But now my eyes have seen it. Yeah. Church, we've seen it here in this house. We've seen resurrection power over and over and over again. We have seen the Netzer transform each of us into Netzerine just like he is. Amen. We can see it and now we know it. We know what that ongoing cycle of redemption, that ongoing cycle of resurrection does because we're seeing it in the lives of those around us. Church, do you believe this morning? Do you now believe with even greater levels of trust? Yeah. Turn with me to Acts chapter 26 for our final scripture. We're going to pick up in verse 16. Say, do you believe as you do turn? Do you believe? Get up, stand up. So before we start reading in verse 16, every one of us are familiar with Paul's transformation on the road to Damascus. When Jesus first appears to him, he says to Paul, or Saul at that moment, Saul, Saul, why do you kick against the goads? Why do you kick against the goads? You know what that sounds like? That sounds like an unredeemed donkey. That nature was inside of him. He thought it was noble. All the efforts of the unredeemed donkey. And what happened is that 
As soon as Jesus spoke to him, he fell to the ground along with his companions. There was death. There was a cessation of his own exaltation. There's a removal of all of his strength. He could not stand in the presence of the Netzerim. And he fell dead before his feet. But something had to happen at this point. He needed resurrection right then. Oh, man, if somebody would have walked up and said, hey, Paul, just hang out there for a minute. There's a resurrection in the future. I'm sure Paul might be pretty agitated and upset. But let's look at verse 16 and see what was said by Jesus to Paul. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. We have the past. We have the future. And the man is being transformed in the present. You have all three characteristics of the A.A. Asher, A.A. at work. But ultimately, this is what he's saying. When he's telling him, get up. That means that you are to rise to a resurrected lifestyle and mindset. Be a Netzarene. Stand on your feet. Be ready to take actual steps of obedience. Be a Netzarene. I have appeared to you. You have a revelation of who I am as the I am so that you can be a Netzarene. I have appointed you. I've tasked you with the purpose of being a servant and a witness, being a Netzarene that lives so that others may experience life through your very death. You will live even though you die as a Netzarene. You will testify of what you have seen, meaning death to life inside of you. You bear witness of being a Netzarene. And what you will see, meaning your death bringing life to others as a Netzarene. Let's look at verse 17. All of this becoming a Netzarene has a very, very specific purpose. Look at what he says. I will rescue you. Come on, wretched man. He's going to rescue you from your own people, from your own sin, from your own body of death. He's going to rescue you. From the Gentiles. Why? Why do you go through the ongoing redemption, the death processes, so that you might have life, you might walk in a resurrection lifestyle, and that you might have something to be sent to them about? I'm sending you to them to open their eyes to a resurrection kind of lifestyle. I'm sending you to them to turn them from darkness into the light. So that they can see that ongoing process of death that leads into life. And from the power of Satan to the power of God. That ongoing deliverance of the I am that we have that they need. So that they may receive forgiveness of sins. That ongoing redemption of the Lamb. And a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. My God, it's almost like Paul understood this. And what the Lord was speaking is saying, you're going to give them a place among those who have ongoing resurrection. You're going to give them a place among those who have become a Netzarene, just like the Messiah himself. Stand to your feet, saints.
Hallelujah. Do you believe? Yes. <laughs> yes. This is how God is going to help us this morning. First, joyfully, we are going to draw close to the Lamb that will redeem our neck broken scenario of our own nature. We will lay it down at his feet, but that is not complete unless we also have the trust in his resurrection power that immediately follows. We're going to trust that just like Paul on that road to Damascus, you're going to hear the words, get up and stand on your feet. We're going to joyfully let our donkey nature be transformed by the land, and then we're going to joyfully stand to our feet and bear witness as Nazarenes. I'll pray with us right now. Mighty God, thank you. Thank you for that, resur that resurrection power. God, thank you that we can be rescued. Lord, we love and we're becoming to love that ongoing redemption process, that ongoing resurrection process that is making us into the same netherin that you are. Mighty God, move in your people today. In Jesus' name.